I'm Joseph Fasano, and this is a poem called Letter from my collection, The Crossing. Letter. Tonight, as you walk out into the stars or the forest or the city, look up as you must have looked before love came, before love went before ash was ash. Look at them, the city's mists, the winters, and the moon's glass you must have held once in beginning. That new moon you must have touched once in the waters, saying, change me, change me, change me, all I want is to be more of what I am. That was today's guest on PoetKind, poet and now novelist Joseph Fasano. I had the distinct pleasure of having a great conversation with Joseph about his new novel out this month from Platypus Press, the dark heart of every wild thing. And I promise, no spoilers ahead. Joseph teaches at Columbia University and Manhattanville College and serves on the board of Alice James Books. He's also the founder of the Poem For You series, which we will talk about a little bit later in the interview. Let's get to it, shall we? Joseph, I want to thank you for joining me here on Poet Kind Podcast. It is a delight to have you here. It's a real pleasure to be here, Susan. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's the pleasure is all mine. The folks at Platypus Press reached out to me and introduced me to your newest work, which is actually a novel. But you're a poet. You've got right. four books of poetry. Is that right? That's right. Ahead of this. Um, that's quite a departure, but pretty exciting. I would, I would love to hear about that journey, if you don't mind sharing. Sure, I'm happy to chat about it. it uh, Platypus Press is really doing wonderful work, and, and anytime I chat with folks, I, I encourage them to, if they don't uh, know Platypus already, to, to take a look at the work they're doing, both in the, in the books that they're publishing and also in their literary journal, which is called Wildness, which perhaps is is appropriate given the title of my book, The Dark Heart of Every Wild Thing. Uh, so they're doing really fantastic work, a great chorus of voices that they're publishing. Um, in my own journey, uh, as you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a poet and, and I've published collections of poems and, and one of my books is, is, is a longer poem. And I think the, the step uh, into this novel uh, was of course more or less an organic one in the sense that, that one really only writes the books he feels that he needs to write, absolutely, um, without any other considerations, just put the blinders on and, and going deeply. Um, but I think perhaps one of the things that, that might be interesting to your listeners who, who perhaps are writing themselves and, and thinking about genre is the, the process um, uh, of, of, of moving, I, I would say from poetry to fiction, but it's really between one and the other and back and forth, for me was a very interesting process of questioning where the silences live in prose, in literary prose. Um, as, as poets, we really do think in terms of silences. I tell this story very often that, 
that Mozart was, was supposed to have been asked what, what his favorite kind of music was. And he is said to have replied, no music. Um, by which, of course, he didn't mean that he didn't like music, but that the notes are there to, to give the silences meaning or resonance or to shape those silences. So as poets, we're always thinking about silence, the silence between the lines, the silence in that white space after the piece. And for me, the journey into prose is a very interesting one, remains an interesting one, insofar as it is, it is a questioning of where those silences live in prose. And, and one thing I discovered is that if the silences live between, or in, in one, of one, one instance, in between the lines in a poem, they sort of live between the lives of the characters in a novel. What are the things that are unsaid and unspoken? That to me has been an interesting thing to investigate and it was in the writing of this book. It's interesting that you, you mentioned that you did write a book of poetry that was essentially one long poem. Um, having not been familiar with your work prior to this, when I got a chance to read your book without the history of your poetry, uh, I just wanted to go into it you know, a blank slate and see what it was about. It, it very much read like epic poetry to me and kind of that, that Odyssean journey throughout the whole thing. And it would kind of go back and forth between, you know, there are dialogue components that grounded me to where I needed to be, but then it opened up into this poetic language that really led me through this whole story. I, I can't even think of a good word that encapsulates how I felt. I would be reading it and, you know, in, in turns, my emotions would be up and down and um, it was heartbreaking, but beautiful and, but also just rich with hidden meaning. You know, the silence that would follow the reading would be these thoughts that would cross from the story to Wait, this could mean this and this could mean mm. that. And so it was really a delightful, that's kind of a lighthearted word because it's a little bit heavier. You know, it requires more from the reader than just, oh, this is a great story. Yeah, and thank you for saying that. Now, it's funny because I mentioned that, that silly little anecdote uh, about music. Um, there was an interview that the, the great American poet James Wright did one time with the Paris Review, and he was talking about Mozart. And it's funny, this, this comes to me just in connection to what you're saying and to what I was just mentioning. And, um, you know, he said something like, you know, Bach may have been the greatest composer, but, but Mozart, in, in, in his typical James Wright beautiful way, he says, Mozart was an angel. And, and, and he said, the reason is because he, he gave you your own song. He, he gave you those silences to step into. Uh, where you could really create something and bring something to that experience. You know, if, if, if I touched even the smallest part of, of that, of, of creating something that does something like that, then that really pleases me. And I'm happy to, to hear you say that because I really do want the reader to feel both a, a participant, both a, a um, sorry, I should say invited into the, the journey and really a participant in the creation of whatever the meanings might be for you. Kind of at a loss for the exact words that would do adequate justice to um, the experience of a work like this. Um, you learn so much about not just the characters, but about yourself and how you respond to the different situations. 
and uh, see yourself evolve through the story as he goes again and again on this this journey that ultimately is to bring him back to himself in some way you just did just do that so well i can't help but ask what was your inspiration for the story you know it's funny because these books always have this in my experience at least books have this very mysterious way of happening um they they come and they come in some nascent form and i think it's our work to really kind of follow them perhaps later there's some clarity or a little bit of clarity about why or how um, but in this particular instance it began very much with uh, two of the three main characters in the novel uh, this man this narrator of this first person novel and and his wife and i they came to me almost fully formed in the sense of, of my palpable sense of them and i really just put them down in, in the white space of the page and and let them begin to talk to one another and i was very interested in the way they talk to one another which to me seems like they have a language that's really all their own mm -hmm. um, speak, speaking of the silences they 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 have um a way of understanding one another that is unspoken and um and i think the book is largely about that the ways that we that we speak to each other without speaking to to each other and, and also the things that we neglect to say to one another um perhaps until it's it's too late um, but I've, as i've said before i think as 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 heavy as you've mentioned as heavy as the book can be at times in its themes and in its in its in its plot and um i, I do think it believes in redemption, I think there are certain things this character comes to regret very much, things that he didn't hear, things that he did not say. Uh, and I think he's really on a, a sort of obsessive quest to set things right or to make it different, as his wife tells him at one point in the book. Well, he travels from maybe vengeance initially into more of, yeah, more of a redemption of the story at the end. I don't want to give anything away because I really want people <laughs> to get it this is. book and read it and experience it. <laughs> it's um, tricky to talk about. I know even for myself without, and even to, of course, I've selected some passages that I think um, can be can be looked at by themselves. But yes, it is it is a bit tricky to talk about without giving away. There are there are some definite things that happen, as you know, and um, it's tough to to give a sense of where the journey goes. This really obsessive journey that this character is on without speaking about exactly what happens. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you say that. I do want to leave that to the reader if you'd like <laughs> yeah. to discover. You, you mentioned that the husband and wife have this kind of secret communication. They understand each other through more than just the actual words we read. And you pick up on that. And I think it's a great translation over into the other aspect where he's very aware of the natural world. And here's a language that can only come from experiencing the natural world in a certain way. I think also I partnered, I wonder how I would have responded to this read at a different period of time, because there's been a lot of isolation and a lot of trying to realign how things are seen and experienced. And personally, I come off like this, this really intense, crazy period where everybody got kind of alone our life got packed in with people living with us that we hadn't anticipated. And, and so when they left, 
I had the quiet again. And that's about the time I started reading the book. And I was sitting outside, I was experiencing the outdoors again. And so it just made it this, um, a larger experience than just words on the page. But I'm curious for you, you know, this book landing in this particular period of time, in some ways is perfect timing. Have you had some interesting responses based on how it's landed? You know, I really have. It's, it's very interesting the way these things happen um, and the way, you know, we are, we are in such a trying time and everybody, you know, you, you share just a little bit of, of your, your story. Um, you know, everybody, I think this book is very much the story of not only one character, but really all three characters in it. Um, just kind of stumbling through the wildernesses of themselves and trying to figure out what they want to find and, and how they're lost and how they're found and how they want to be lost and how they want to be found. Yeah. And it's, it's a very much a time, uh, you know, in which I think so many of us, I know, I know I'm doing it myself, we sort of have this time alone or at least isolated um, and are attempting or sometimes even maybe against our, 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 our conscious will sifting out which voices in us are our own voices. Uh, we really have that time for better or worse to think about, you know, is this something I really believe? Is this something I really hold true? Um, what is that voice in me articulating a judgment, articulating an idea, articulating whatever it might be? So I think you're right. I think that, that this is very much the story of one person, you know, he, he I, I, I suppose I could give this much away, which is that he has flashbacks really at the end of every chapter to his life with his family. And what we have to remember, of course, is that he's on a journey in the wilderness. And when he has those memories, it's because they have something to tell him that he didn't hear in the past. Um, and so I think it's very much um, interesting that that is akin to the journeys that a lot of us are on at this moment. We don't have to be in the harsh wintry mountains of British Columbia chasing after a wild thing uh, to have that resonate with some emotional journey that that I think many of us are on I agree with you uh, it's been a lot of um, a lot of fun to read this book I doing this is so backwards for me usually I learn about somebody I find their poetry I learn about their poetry and then go from there so I'm going backwards, you know, I'm, I'm reading your novel and now I'm anxious to go and discover your poetry. Could you spend just a couple minutes talking about some of your work, some of your books, um, you know, where, where you draw your inspirations, what? Um, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's funny, I'm almost very, very glad to hear you say that because there's something very refreshing about somebody encountering something that you've made with no noise around it um, at all, and just the experience, and I think that's that, that's something that is rarely afforded us in this in this current um, moment. Uh, so so yeah, I appreciate that that you experienced it that way. Yes, I um, as you mentioned, I've I've uh, I've written uh, several books of poems. Uh, my first two uh, books of poetry were collections of poems. And, um, and then the third book was this, this book length poem that I mentioned briefly before, uh, which also happened to um, land, as you say, at, at a very interesting moment. And it was a, quite a coincidence there. That was a book, sounds very strange to talk about, but that was a book that was written 
um, in the voice of a character who was based very loosely on, on an actual person, somebody who had done something very reprehensible um, in Canada. There was a case in 2008, 2009, um, in which uh, a man had killed somebody in, in what was later determined to be a, um, a psychotic break, a psychotic episode. And I was very interested in just the humanity in that moment, what it would be to um, do something that you perhaps feel you didn't have any control over and then to come out of that state of mind. And of course that touched on all sorts of sociological questions. You know, how we view mental illness is one of them. So in my mind, I was very much just as a writer trying to get into this voice, into this character, explore him. What makes a person tick? What are the laws that we live by that we feel we can't break? We are, we are almost doomed in a sense to, um, to, to, to see, what, see what they do with us. That happened to come out right around the time or at the time that the person on whom it was based was being released from a mental health facility. This was in Canada, um, and they seemed to have somewhat different ideas, I think, for the better about uh, the justice system uh, perhaps being more rehabilitative rather than punitive simply in nature. So, so that was a book that, that um, you know, as you mentioned about this one, had a very interesting coincidence in when it was, when it was put out. But like this one, um, I was really just interested, uh, as I'm sure you are when you're writing, about getting those words right on the page um, and feeling your way into the territory of them. You know, what, what is this voice trying to do? Um, after that, I had another collection of poems called The Crossing that came out in 2018, and that was the one uh, from which I, I read that short piece at the beginning of our chat. Where did you, um, you know, I mean, this is the basic question that every poet, writer, artist, creator gets, you know, where did you first decide that the way through the world for you was going to be with words? I am one of those writers who fought it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps not that long in the scheme of things, but when I was very young, I grew up in the Hudson Valley of New York State. Oh, beautiful uh, area. Beautiful place to grow up. My family, uh, a lot of my family is still there. Um, wonderful environment and horses and greenery and, and really a fantastic place. And it shaped the, the images in my, my, my mind and really woke certain archetypes in me. Um, I was very passionate when I was very young about mathematics, about um, the hard sciences, um, astronomy. And I was sure that that's what I was going to do with my life is, is be some manner of mathematician, some manner of, of scientist. And, um, you know, it, it'd perhaps be a longer conversation, but I, I'll just give a, a very abridged version of it, which is that I was, I was always a reader. I was always so drawn to what words could do and, um, and always wanted to, to, to put words on the page and see what I could do. And I think that, um, I believe in a lot of what the great psychologist Carl Jung has to say about the human mind and the compensatory ways it works. If you go too far in one direction, you're going to swing very much in the other. And I think while the rational aspects of our minds can be, you know, and are incredibly essential to what it means to be a human being, I can only speak for myself and say I was almost overdeveloping in that direction as a way to perhaps hide from what I felt as this whole wild world brimming up in me somewhere. And to me, you know, around the time that, that I entered my, my very young adulthood, I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't fight it anymore. And I, I needed to 
as it were, fall down into that uh, chaos and, and see perhaps what forms were there. So I started writing uh, really um, in earnest when I was in my, my early 20s and have not looked back. I think, I think um, literature is certainly one space in which we can explore all of the aspects of what it means to be human. And I think I'll say just one more thing in, that, in, in response to that, which is that I think now particularly we are in a moment when, uh, and this happens at, at, at moments of transition and moments of, of, of change and good change in, in cultures, societies, when there's always the risk of reducing things to very easy moral categories um, and to losing a sense of the complexity of the individual life. Um, I don't tend to see my work um, in any one way, but if I look back on the things that I've done, both in that book, Vincent, and that character, maybe in this book too, um, I know that I'm interested in trying to figure out the ways in which we are a mystery to ourselves and others, and we can't really be reduced to any sort of categories, any sort of um, um, moral categories or easily labeled categories. And I think literature is really this a space to remind ourselves of that. And that to me is the lifeblood. So in a way you went from wanting to be a mathematician to becoming an alchemist. <laughs> you know, I'm that sorry. is such a beautiful word. That is such a, you know, Keats used to use that word to describe poetry, that the alchemy of it. And um, yeah, and of course that, yes, it's beautifully said. But where should we go next? You've answered well, everything so eloquently. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know what to ask next because you've just, you've created such a beautiful interview so far. Well, thank you. It's, it's great to chat with you. I think these questions are, are really helpful. And I loved the thing that you said about, um, you know, we could talk a little bit about the natural world if, if you'd like. Oh, uh, I'd love that. I'd love that. Yeah. You said something really, really very interesting, I think, a moment ago, um, or, or at least you know, suggested it in what you were saying, that the dialogue between the two, uh, between the husband and the wife in this book, or at least the way that he speaks, might somehow be inflected by or informed by his relationship to the natural world. Um, and I think we are very much shaped by our landscapes and our environments, um, the pace at which we talk, the, 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 the words that we use, the syntax that we use. Um, it's so true, we, we can kind of breathe in the sounds and sights and smells of everything around us and, and breathe it out in our language. So that's something that I'd love to think about more and I'm glad you brought it up. But I think there is a way this character has lived in at least three very different landscapes. In the book, there are flashbacks to his life in the Caribbean. He spent time as a fisherman, mm -hmm. as a young man. And those landscapes uh, or seascapes really um, brought, I, I, I thoroughly believe that in each one of us, we have images waiting to be woken. Um, and if we, if, if the natural world or the world in which we find ourselves wakes certain images, then they become very resonant. Um, you know, bodies of water mean, mean so much to us as human beings, but if you grow up by one, you're more apt to have that archetype woken in you and working in you. And if you're an artist, it does interesting work. So yeah, I'm interested in, in, in those things. And then he has his life with his wife on the Oregon coast and his son. And then, of course, the mountains of British Columbia. And those three landscapes uh, shape him as a person. And it would be very interesting to, um, uh, to think about how our landscapes shape the, the very syntax, how we, uh, how we speak, how we talk to one another. Um, the natural world is a very interesting uh, other character in this book, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And, I think it's um, very important. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's and, and you were talking a moment ago, and that really resonates with me about how you found that time to commune again with the natural world. And I think that my own relationship to it, it's something that, that I really need to spend time, time in and time with. Um, but I, I think my relationship to it is very complex. And I think as human beings, our relationship to nature is very complex. It's very easy to develop quite a sentimental attitude toward the natural mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. when you're looking at it from the comfort of an armchair out through a window. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I always I say this all the time, you know, try living in, um, in, in the Hudson Valley of New York if, there, if you had no shelter at all. It's, it's rather a difficult place to live in the winter. And, and, um, and so I think that, that the, the natural world is, is an incredibly um, powerful thing uh, that, that, that shapes us. Uh, but I think that it's, it's very complex, our relationship to it. We need to be good custodians and stewards of it. But in some sense, we are, we are in nature. We are driven by some of the, the same uh, lusts and impulses and, and, and things that are not all that edifying. And, and another, in another sense, we are, have one foot perhaps outside of what we think of as nature in our responsibility as conscious reflecting things um, to think about what we do, what we do to one another, and to think about what we do to our environment. Um, just like jumped over the fact that there was more to the story. When you bring up his experiences when he's in the water against like the, the landlocked nature, mm. both are very beautiful and he experiences that aspect of it, but both are very brutal. Mm. And he's, it's almost like he speaks a different language when he talks about either or. But then when he brings that into his relationship with his wife and how they communicate, you know, when a person stalks an animal, they think a certain way and ask certain questions internally. And it almost seems like he would ask the same questions in a very soft way of her trying to draw her out in a good way, but not the, not in that I want to capture you, but his thinking has been formed by his interaction with both of these very different ways of experiencing the world. That's so it's cool. True. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And it's funny. And, and, and I love the way you're saying that because I think there are ways in which they are very tender with each other in the sense that I think they're trying to guide each other into themselves. You know, tell me, he always says, tell me, tell me, mm -hmm. you know, tell me more, tell me more about your story. Um, but I think they also have a way, I know she does. I, I found in writing uh, this character that, that she would often kind of almost make me laugh. She has this incredible way of, of really being um, um, assertive without, without, um, uh, without seeming that way, perhaps, you know, she, she really challenges him to, um, to waken to himself. And I think has, has grace to be patient with him when he's, when he's not um, doing that. And of course she has her whole life. There's a great sorrow in her life, which is that she, she used to be um, tremendously passionate about one obsessive thing in her own life. If it's a right. book about his obsession, you know, she was a dancer and it was her whole, whole life. Um, and so I think that I think that's a way in which they certainly connect. She she doesn't quite, of course, as we can never truly understand what drives somebody else, even if maybe even especially if we're very close to them. 
uh, I think she can certainly just understand that that there's something he can't let go of or a place that he can't let go of. It's very hard for her to do that in her own life as well. Yeah. Well, I was just, I was just going to ask you as I was thinking about that is is her ultimate release of this this passion you know, is that a conduit for ultimately the release of his passion? Not in the, you know, not in the passion of this is what I've always wanted to do, but yeah, is he, yeah. Do you think there's a, a connection? Was that intentional or is, was that just a natural outflowing of the, the writing? I think natural outflowing is a beautiful way of saying it. I would agree to that. I think, yeah, I sort of found ways in which their lives intersected these harmonies that they had with one another. Um, I, I kept discovering the, the reasons why they seemed to get along so much, um, because on the surface of it, it might look like they're very, very different. Um, of course, they come from the same place or they grew up in the same um, in, in the same landscape. So they so they have that. But yeah, I think they're they're both really driven uh, by something. We all have our obsessions, whether we know it or not. And uh, and I think certainly they're both in a way. Um, I wouldn't want to analyze my characters too much, but I'd say that they're both in a way trying to figure out how to move past one manifestation in their lives of that kind of obsessive focus, how to pour it perhaps into something else, because that energy is ready to change, that energy wants to change. Um, so, I, so I hope that, that the book thinks about those things um, as well. What would you think of reading an excerpt from the book? We keep talking about it and we keep sure. certain things, but I'm wondering if you could share uh, a portion with us without giving too much away. Yes, I'd love to. I'll, I'll read a selection from just a passage that, that doesn't give away too much in terms of plot. Yes, I'll read a passage that, you know, as I say, and as we've been discussing, there is this sort of main narrative of the quest that our narrator is on, uh, punctuated by flashbacks to his life with his wife, with his, with his son, with both of them. Uh, but I thought I would just read a passage because, um, you know, your listeners are, are readers of, of poetry. And this is a passage that I think can be read um, outside even of the narrative of, of the work. And it's just our narrator reflecting on the ways in which his life has changed. We were just talking about the natural world. And he used to really uh, sort of, um, in an unmitigated way, just enjoy it. He used to just really love it. And you know, even though he was spending time in the wilderness with his father, to whom he had a very complex relationship. And in this passage I'll read, he begins to think about the ways in which his life has become a bit twisted by the journey he's on, by the things that he's suffered. And he reflects on how his relationship to the natural world has changed. It was pleasant once to track in the early autumns, the chickadees and the violet green swallows beginning always to sing their unfinished praise. The heron that always came north out of its range to cross once a season over the valley and disappear over the pines to God knows where. I'd loved them once, the clatter of the red breasts in the day and the swirling of the snow owls at night the singing and the silences after. Loved them the way I'd loved the gray sway of the ocean in the west, the green and cobalt swells of the south where the reefs fell away dark and crimson after the shallows and the birds hung unmoving in the crosswind. 
I loved it too, the purring and the caterwauling of the animal itself. And in the thaw of youth, I believed in the myth that we were brothers, that if you hunger for something strongly enough in the night, strongly and without pride or malice, you become it. And whichever one of you is chosen to fall will yield itself willingly and truly in the nature of things, as a body at the high noon of its truth gathers back the vastness of its shadow. I'd wanted no vengeance but against the lie that drives us to deny the dominion in us. And I'd wanted it with grace, with compliance, and in the brief nights under the stars, curled beside the small fire of my son's body, I'd known only that I was powerless, and I'd praised it. I'd carried my own hands like totems in the dark, and I'd known that they could bless things and be blessed. And when I'd lifted my son or soothed his mother, it was in bliss or in pain or in joy, but I was there for it. In the nights too, alone or holding her hard against her sobbing, I knew that forgiveness too was a fire and you carried it in the small tinder of your own two hands. And if you did not fail it, you could illuminate the world. I love that passage. I had a digital copy, but physical copies, like I would fold edges and write and all that kind of stuff. I'm one of those terrible people that just destroys a book. But when I own a book, I own a book. I think that's great. And it was that it was one of those passages that you, you can't do that with a digital copy. But I remembered because there was such a there's this this strength, but this tenderness in his relationship with his son and to his wife, but what that looks like on a bigger scale and the gravitas of the whole package was just wrapped up right there. It's just a beautiful passage. Thank you, Susan. And I think, you know, I was taking a couple notes, you know, the hunger that you talk about really equates to that passion, you know, that thing that we're all looking for. And if you can, if you can take hold of that in just the right way, I mean, you just say it so beautifully. Thank you for that. That was the perfect passage to read. Oh, thank you, Susan. I I really appreciate that. Uh, What I'd like to do now is just give you a couple minutes to let people know where they can find your book and your other books as well. Cause I want to promote the whole thing for you where they can find that, where they can find you online. I want people to follow you in droves. <laughs> get oh, to know thank you. you. Thank you. Yes. The, the book is out. Um, just came out on September 1st from platypus press. Um, and so it can be found uh, through, through them and also, um, at, at all the, the retailers, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I always encourage people to also support their local booksellers. And Absolutely. I know it's a tough time for, for everybody right now. So, um, you know, it, it's, it has distributors here in the States and also um, across the pond, as it were, where yeah. my publisher is located. So you can really get it anywhere. And, and I encourage people to, to hunt it out and, and support their local booksellers. Um, my, my other books are available um, in, in more or less the same places and also through the Cider Press Review website, which was the publisher of my, my earlier books, uh, my first four books. Um, so they can be found there. Um, I can be found online. Uh, I, I do use Twitter to, to send out um, poems and other such things. 
uh, at Joseph underscore Fasano underscore. Um, also on uh, Facebook and, and Instagram. And one of the things um, I want to mention about those social media platforms is something your listeners might be interested in, um, in people who, who seemingly, you know, appreciate the, the spoken word of literature and listening to what you do, um, is during the, the early months of the pandemic, I started doing what a lot of people were doing um, to stay sane and to, to share work. Um, and that was just to, to recite poems, uh, sometimes my own, but more often than not other people's work. And I really got a warm response to that. And so that grew very organically into something that I called the, the Poem for You series. I had people requesting poems. And so what we've done is we have that now on, on, uh, on Facebook and also on, on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, and it can be found if you go through my, my sites, the links to that. And we've had all sorts of voices. We've had Jericho Brown read for us. We've had Robert Pinsky read for us. And, yeah. and they all do a fantastic job. And, and we've had some poets um, who really are, um, are not as well known. And I think it's, it's just a sense of, of community. And so that's a space where you can request a poem, something that you'd like to hear. And either I or, or one of our guest readers will, will read it for you. And um, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful, um, hope, hopefully a beautiful way to, to connect to a poem that you admire um, just through the human voice. And I think that's so important always, and maybe especially now in this time, as you were just mentioning, Susan, when, when we can feel isolated. So uh, I think uh, hopefully that, that brings people some, some, good, some goodness. Well, Joseph, thank you so much. This is, um, when it's an honor, I'm so grateful that you took the time to sit down with me today. And just from a personal note, I have absolutely loved sitting across from you, chatting with you. This has been fantastic. So thank you so much. Thank you, Susan. So have I. This has been really, really great. And, and thank you for taking the time to, to look at my work and, and to tell folks about it. Please make sure you follow Joseph on Twitter at Joseph underscore Fasano underscore. That's F-A-S-A-N-O. You can also find him on Instagram at Joseph.Fasano and online at JosephFasano.net. Make sure you order a copy of his book through platypuspress.co.uk or on Amazon. And you can also order it from your favorite local bookseller. And make sure you stick around for a great postscript at the end of this episode. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm still finding myself in transitional territory. There's been no new routine established. Sure, I've gone through the motions, but change is still rampant here. And that means more changes ahead for poet kind as well. I look forward to bringing more interviews, book chats, and other small poetry experiences, but the schedule is going to look a little different. I'll have more to share once I know more myself. Until then, I just want to encourage you to keep moving forward. It can be hard to reroute and reroute and reroute, especially when there seems to be no fixed point as an arrival place. We capture glimpses of light, and it's those I hope you're able to turn your attention to. Keep doing what it is you've been created to do. Write the hard words. Tell the difficult story. Make the piece of art that eludes you. One word, one stroke, one stitch at a time. And make sure along the way that you reach out to lift someone who is struggling to find their next foot forward. 
Let them know you care. We are always better together, and it doesn't cost anything to be kind. So until next time, live kind, be kind, poet kind. Long after the interview was over, Joseph and I continued to chat, and I just need to give him one last thank you for such a great conversation and for the opportunity to provide such a great postscript for today's episode. Enjoy. There's something, Crevasier's big monumental piece, there is, there's an ugliness to reality. Mm. And there is an ugliness to brutalist artwork and brutalist architecture. But there's also the sublime that is this overwhelming experience of something you don't understand. And I think that that translated across into some of the reading, you know, when I was reading and he was in these caverns and these, you know, I kept thinking of these connections. So it's probably completely bizarre, but there is a necessity for um, the odd mark that challenges how you perceive the world around you. And so, you know, the unfinished, the unfinished ending that is really, it is an ending, but it's not because you didn't get all the answers or um, the experience of this, this darkness, this heaviness, as well as you know, an irrational beauty that he's in when this happened. I, you know, it's just my strange way of thinking. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. No, but. I love that. I, I love taking, <laughs> I love taking leaps. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. There, there's some aspect, you know, um, beauty, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, again, as I said about nature before, it's not a sentimental, comfortable experience. It's an overwhelming experience. Um, yeah. you know, well, whether think we're of, talking. Think of what was it, the elk moose? With the yes. tips, yes, yes, the, you know yeah, this, is, this moose, is right. Yes. yes, this is this is nature, and this is the overwhelming power of even mm-hmm. the tiniest thing to to upend it. Yeah, which is what we're discovering now, isn't it? And that's I think so so powerful and resonant, which is that you know now we find ourselves um, battling this not only the tiniest thing but something that's invisible to us in this pandemic and I think that is particularly difficult on the human psyche I think we we have been built as it were by the natural world to confront certain terrors um, insofar as we have a fight-or-flight response um, you know if we travel back many many eons in, in history and and someone were, were to tell me that I had to go take down such or such mastodon with a group of people um, I don't know if I'd be able to do it, but uh, something in my human nature has prepared me to try. On the other hand, um, we, we're, we're differently equipped to deal with terrors that we cannot see. And we have different ways of dealing with terrors that we cannot see. And one is to try to create stories, to try to put them into some shape that we can see. And so I think that, you know, you mentioned this book coming out at this time. And I think that, uh, you know, perhaps me, you know, when I was writing it, it had nothing to do with the, with the pandemic, but perhaps it was in a sense giving a shape to, uh, to some terror that I could not see. 
Um, and that's the extent to which I talk about my own self. But, but beyond that, I, I think that we do need stories to try to find what, I, what in a sense, TSLE would call an objective correlative, something that we can look at to give shape to our terror. Um, the great example, of course, uh, uh, you know, is Hamlet, who cannot quite find that thing that he is really, really deeply troubled by. It, it, everything in his world can, you know, nothing in his world can account for it. Um, but I think, uh, I think we do find ourselves at a moment when, when we are deeply, each one of us confronting the fear of death, you know, real existential worries, and constantly confronted daily by this idea that something can, can harm us that we cannot see. So I think it's, a, it's really a time in which we need those, those stories in which we might be able to give shape to our fears, um, reify our fears, um, bring them into focus a bit uh, by using other images and other uh, realities or aspects of this reality so that we can then reflect on what those fears can do and how we can make those fears um, uh, perform an alchemy, as you say. Uh, so as to give us something, to give us some some truths that we might not have had otherwise. 